0: Before we jump in, we want to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Marvin Planning Consultants. Marvin Planning Consultants was established in 2009 and is committed to our clients and our professional organizations. Our team of planners have served on chapter division and national committees, including as Nebraska chapter president. In addition, we are committed to supporting our chapter in various APA divisions. You're listening to the Booked On Planning Podcast, a project of the Nebraska Chapter of the American Planning Association. In each episode, we dive into how cities function by talking with authors on housing, transportation, and everything in between. Join us as we get Booked On Planning. Welcome back, Bookworms, to another episode of Booked on Planning. In this episode, Jennifer and I are going to dive into one of the ebooks put out by Next City called The New Econ 101. In case you aren't familiar with Next City, they're a nonprofit media site that focuses on sharing stories and ideas from city to city, helping to move social justice and equity forward. They also have a podcast, The Next City Podcast, if you're looking for other city-focused episodes to listen to. And what we found particularly interesting is that they have a whole virtual bookshelf of eBooks. Their compendium of all things urbanism is a great source with topics on urban design, transit to high costs of rents and economics. Turning to the new Econ 101, Jennifer, why don't you set up the book for our listeners? What can they expect to find if they were to read this?
1: Yeah, so the new Econ 101 is a 2015 collection of four articles highlighting innovative economic approaches, utilizing co-ops to bolster underrepresented economies, a comparison of top-down versus grassroots urban district redevelopment in Kansas City, anchor institutes deploying a social design type approach to neighborhood development and civic engagement, and then utilizing an accelerator program to drive hardware innovation, which I found particularly interesting.
0: So the first article is about New Orleans and the rise of cooperative businesses after the BP oil spill in 2010, just another disaster, a community of Vietnamese immigrants that settled just east of New Orleans had to endure after Katrina. Because fishing is such a big part of their microeconomy, the oil spill had ripple effects beyond just the fishermen. And the solution was to create a cooperative to create jobs and solve concerns of food insecurity. Many residents were already growing in excess on their own, so this new economic model was a way to bring the community together to rebound from the impacts of the oil spill. The article mentioned there was hesitancy from many residents because the co-op model reminded many of them of their former communist regime that they fled and it took seeing the work actually happen to get their buy-in, which reminded me of our conversation with Matt Enstis on City Forward because he said the same thing about innovation districts. Yeah.
1: The article also featured artists co-op, which provides a space for New Orleans Mardi Gras Indians to sell and distribute their artwork. The Mardi Gras Indians are a big draw during the festival season, but they were not seeing much of the economic benefits that they were creating for New Orleans. The co-op was developed to be an economic driver for the members because of the co-op's larger bargaining ability. The members have been able to negotiate displays for the suits that they create the displays in like hotels and larger museums in the city. The article made such a great point. I thought that such support used to be a community driven thing, but as times have changed, it's taken more formal organization to ensure that level of communal approach and make sure that every community member has the support that they need.
0: I feel like we haven't seen a lot of cooperative models outside grocery stores, despite the fact that they're really great at building wealth for those that have invested it's not just a job, but a way to reinvest in the community and build up equity. What I've been seeing a lot lately is a model where a nonprofit purchases a space, then they open it up to small businesses to start up and remove one of the biggest barriers to buying you know, space and equipment that might deter them from starting their own business. While it's helpful, it doesn't necessarily give the small business the opportunity to build wealth beyond the profits that they make with the business like the co-op would and has been described in this article.
1: I've actually been researching community land trusts recently. And since, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Some of the more advanced trusts have a commercial component as well as a housing component. In this setup, the trust holds ownership of the land, but it actually sells the commercial building to the business And this actually allows, you know, for that lower purchase price since land cost has been taken out of the equation, but the business can still build that equity and some wealth because they have an ownership interest in the building. It seems like if co-ops could partner with trusts, maybe they could create
0: an even better way to build wealth. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting concept. Article two focused on an area that we're both familiar with in Kansas City, Missouri, The Power and Light District is an icon for that city that's been around for a few decades now. In 2006, the city worked with a developer to help finance it under a public-private partnership where the city issued $295 million in city-backed bonds to help the company build the $350 million KC Live Entertainment District. Unfortunately, the district opened just before the economy crashed in 2008. And the city's been struggling to pay back the costs since the taxes generated aren't cutting it like they had planned. I'd be curious to know what the situation is today since the article was written back in 2015. But at that time, it seemed pretty bleak of a situation where they never imagined the district would pay for itself like they had originally intended. The article contrasted this heavily subsidized area with the Crossroads District, also in Kansas City, which was started by artists slowly rehabbing industrial buildings. While the cities invested some into that area with a parking garage, the area mainly grew into a successful district on its own. So I did look into it a little bit, and Kansas City did
1: refinance their debt in 2021 and extended the notes term. Hopefully that will be able to provide some relief from the massive payments that Kansas City has had in the past. When I was president of our program Student Planning Association back in 2014, we organized a trip to meet with some of the Kansas City's planners to learn about the profession at that time. The big topic of conversation at the time was, of course, the Kansas City streetcar, but we discussed the Power and Light District as well and compared it to the development of Lincoln's West Haymarket Project. One of the Kansas City planners shared that they actually appreciated Lincoln's approach to our entertainment district because it felt like a natural extension of the original Haymarket, which developed similar to Crossroads. Obviously, after reading this article, that comment was a reflection of those internal discussions about subsidization for slow growth that were happening in the department at the time. And I do have to
0: say, when I visit Kansas City, I prefer Crossroads to Power and Light. I'm the same way. There's a lot more character in the older natural growth districts. There is. So the third article ties directly into our last episode on anchor institutions and innovation districts and their power to create more equitable outcomes. It's all about the University of Chicago, a major anchor institution that's been around for a very long time, creating an office of civic engagement and the work that they do to connect and benefit the community. The university has a long history of decisions that have hurt the neighborhood residents, creating distrust, but the OCE began with a mission to better engage and support the nine neighborhoods that they directly impact on the south side of Chicago. The article really reinforced how it's not good enough to just reach out to the neighborhood. You really need to create partnerships and deep engagement. It also highlights the work of the University of Pennsylvania, which Matt mentioned in our last episode as one of the first innovation districts to really take off when we talked about the book City Forward.
1: This article was a great tie-in to last episode's topic. I thought this article really reinforced the idea that community development succeeds when it moves at the speed of trust, which Matt talked about in his book. And it was interesting to learn about the spin-off development that occurred because of UChicago's reinvestment, including their arts incubator and the shops and lofts at 47
0: In the end of the article, they focused on what at the time was yet to be determined, the Barack Obama Presidential Library. The article highlighted the potential jobs, revenue, and supporting businesses that would have been created by it. It was very similar to the impact that the Power and Light District was projected to have in the earlier article, the only difference being that the city wasn't heavily subsidizing the larger scale project.
1: Right. And of course, the presidential library is under construction now in Chicago. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out. One of the things I'm curious about is the proposed community benefits agreement that Chicago has regarding the library. I know that this wasn't in the Econ 101 article, but City Forward discusses community benefit agreements. and I think it will be interesting to watch how that ordinance is enforced if it is passed.
0: Yeah, and that's a very new topic of conversation. A couple of communities have looked into it, but there's not a lot of great examples so far of how these have really impacted and benefited communities. Exactly. The last article focuses on a Cleveland-based accelerator program called Launch House, very similar again to the work that the BNMC is doing in Buffalo. It provides startup capital, training, and mentorship and access to equipment in exchange for a small equity stake in the startup. The article makes the distinction between the software startup tech companies that have an easier go of it getting started because their costs are so much lower, and the entrepreneurs working on hardware manufacturing companies. They are starting to thrive in the Rust Belt cities that once were home to industrial manufacturing and are transitioning well into supporting these new high-tech manufacturing companies. The model that programs like LaunchHouse are taking is one to allow more time to tinker and get prototypes up and running and more capital to get them built.
1: I had never thought about how time intensive the manufacturing development process really actually is. I'm happy to see Rust Belt cities embrace their past and encourage this type of development. I have really been enjoying the change of
0: pace these smaller articles provide. Same here, because I know sometimes it's hard to get through an entire book for a lot of our listeners. So hopefully they can um, find some good information and further their learning through a couple of these shorter episodes that have articles that are much easier to digest.
1: And if books are more your thing, our next book episode is all about resiliency, equity and sustainability in the comprehensive planning process. So don't forget to subscribe and make sure that that episode lands in your queue. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for more information and articles on the topics we cover.
0: We hope you enjoyed our second article episode on the New Econ 101, a collection of articles from Next City. If you want to download a copy yourself to dive into the articles, head to nextcity.org/ebooks. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and share the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Booked On Planning.